You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data app. So I officially took two days off. It's now the longest absence that I've taken since my, uh, well, since episode 100. From 99 to 100, I took a couple months off. But you see why I didn't want to take a day off, right? This is how it starts. I tell myself, it's okay, just take a day. That turns into, it's okay, you can take two days. I'm telling you, man, I know me, and this is a dangerous game. But I'm going to do my best to play some catch-up. I'm going to try to do two today. In order to be completely caught up, I'd have to do two tomorrow, but that's going to depend largely on you folks providing me with some content, because I have very little time while on vacation to actually look at, look up stuff or do whatever I usually do. So sending in questions or comments or anything else that I can use is going to help that out quite a bit. But for this particular episode, the plan is to talk about uh, the interviews that the coaches gave. I spent yesterday and today listening to those and um, tried to pick out a couple nuggets that I thought were somewhat interesting. Obviously, everybody's talking about Mike Smith and what he had to say, so we'll talk a little bit about that. And again, these are vacation episodes, so they're going to be a little bit short. The goal is 20 minutes. We'll see how it goes. And again, again, because I'm shortening it up, I'm not going to go through all the preliminaries, but please check out the description. There's plenty of fun things to check out in there. But uh, we'll take a little break and uh, we'll get into it. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So the majority of my notes are coming from what Mike Pettin had to say. To be completely honest, it's because that was the first video I watched, and that was when my notes were very intensive. And then as the videos went on, it was like, I think I can just remember some of this stuff. I was wrong, but that's just the honest situation. So at first he kind of went through and uh, talked about some of the outside linebackers, and, and really one of the things he mentioned is that he liked the versatility of the guys. And I think for me, I, I kind of saw... Zadarius Preston and Rashawn is very similar guys, but he kind of helped to split that up a little bit. And really, you, you kind of look at, um, 
think I mentioned this before, but the, the from defensive line all the way out to somewhat of a spectrum, and then even as outside linebacker, you have different kind of people. But, you know, you, you've got sort of your nose tackle going outward to your defensive ends. From there, you can go out to defensive tackle when they're in their nickel package and they have a down defensive end, sort of a 4-3 defensive end. Then you've got sort of your uh, Nick Perry-ish, you know, hold the edge, strong side outside linebackers. You've got your pass rush outside linebacker. And then kind of on the, the far end of the spectrum, you've got the Kyler Fackrells, which are purely speed rushers, but also coverage guys, right? A lot of, I don't even know if I want to call it athleticism, but just speed. But we can call it speed athleticism. On that spectrum, I think you've got Zadarius, who's more interior, more toward the nose tackle. He's not a nose tackle, but he's going to be more of from, you know, down lineman to, um, I guess, sort of the Nick Perry role. I'm not calling him Nick Perry, but he's just going to be sort of the stronger, strong side outside linebacker when he stands up. He mentioned Preston Smith. Well, specifically, he said Zadarius is more of a power rusher, rusher and versatile piece, which is what I'm talking about. Power rusher like Nick Perry, versatile piece, meaning he can go inside and in the dirt. Preston, he mentioned, has more experience dropping in coverage. So we're, we're obviously going to see Preston doing a lot more pass rushing than anything else, but I think he's primarily going to be standing up and also is going to be doing some, some dropping. As far as what he had to say about Kyler, he said he was productive, which <laughs> is kind of a throwaway line. And it's funny, as you kind of go through some of these, it's almost like when you give little kids report cards, they're always going to find something positive to say. It's, it's really just trying to do your best to read between the lines to figure out, is this just a throwaway thing, and they don't actually care for their skill set? And I'm not saying that's the case with Kyler. They would have no problem cutting a guy if they just didn't think he was any good for any reason. But that's somewhat of a throwaway. On the opposite end of that was Reggie Gilbert, who was somebody that I didn't necessarily care for during the season, obviously, because, and I think it's largely because he was productive in the preseason. We expect that to carry over, and it didn't, and it's just a matter of, okay, well, you can do it in preseason, you can't do it outside of that, so you're just not very good. Mike Pettin, however, went on to say that he didn't fill up the stat sheet, but he did his job. I don't really see that as a throwaway. Maybe it is, but it sounds to me as a defense, and he's also kind of I think a lot of times, you know, these coaches, as much as they say they don't know, they do know the narrative of their guys. And I I tend to think something like this is almost a swat at the narrative that he's not a good football player. But it also kind of reminds me of a Rashawn Gary kind of situation over at Michigan. You know, everybody wants to just look at sacks and say, well, he's he's a pass rusher. He didn't get sacks, therefore he's no good. But the, the point is, I asked Reggie Gilbert to do something. That something wasn't necessarily to sack the quarterback, but he did his job. So we look at it and say he was garbage. Same with Rashawn Gary, but yet Rashawn Gary's coaches say what? No, he did his job every single play. One of the most high-impact players that I've ever had. Now, that's not what anybody's saying about Reggie Gilbert, but that's sort of, I think, what we need to think about going forward with Reggie Gilbert. What is he being asked to do, and did he do it? Uh, Patton also spoke pretty glowingly about Mike Smith, said he's one of the experts in the game, uh, really, really good at studying offensive linemen, going over the details. We kind of knew that going in. But as I've said, I'm, I'm beyond excited. I mean, I, I, as I've also said, I'm just excited that we have an outside linebacker coach, somebody that can just dedicate their time to just working with one of the most important pieces on the entire team, and that is our pass rushers. Something else he said that um, the only reason I really want to bring it up is because there's been a bit of an argument, especially on Facebook, which I think is silly. We all know at this point, especially if you listen to the podcast anyways, that safeties are interchangeable. Right, there really isn't a free and a strong. 
there can be on certain plays, but not like one guy is the free safety, one guy is the strong safety. But there is a uh, certain subset of people that believe that Adrian Amos is the free safety. Not entirely sure where this came from. I know he played a lot of free safety with the Bears, but I remember seeing arguments about it, and then other people would say, no, he's the strong safety. Well, Mike Pettin said, which should have been obvious to everybody, but if it wasn't obvious to you, Adrian Amos leads, leans toward strong safety. Darnell Savage leans toward free safety, but they're interchangeable. Again, that should be relatively obvious. Adrian Amos' skill set is... I would say more geared toward being a, a really good strong safety that's capable of being a free safety. Uh, Darnell is very obviously a free safety that's capable of being a strong safety. But again, for those of you that wasn't obvious toward, um, that's the situation. I think the most interesting thing, and it was my last note, um, there was a question about wanting to get bigger. And it's something that I've been talking about for a while. It's something that I noticed several years ago that even guys that were being picked up leaned more toward the Nick Perry size or even bigger, which I thought was surprising because in my mind, Clay Matthews was sort of the prototypical pass-rushing outside linebacker that you're looking for. And they kept getting these kind of slower, stronger power guys. And uh, Mike Pettin more or less came out and said, look, it's a size-speed league. And he said, if you look around the league, which I love this part of it too, because he's, he's talking about how he's still keeping an eye on what's going on outside of the league, and I, I really think, uh, well, I'll get back to it because I can chase that rabbit for a while, but he said um, that if you look at teams that run a similar five-man front, you know, two guys standing up, three guys inside down, he said they run a simul- similar formula, and, and it's really pretty obvious that you want bigger and faster if you can get it. Usually you just can't, though, but the, the main line, the main qualifier of what Mike Pettin wants, he wants bigger, but you have to win outside. So the, the, the main prototype is a big guy that can win on the outside. But it's not just big. If you're, if you're just big and you can't get to the quarterback, you're useless. So I, I think you know they would prefer a guy like Kyler Fackrell, who's not big but gets to the quarterback, over, you know, I, I guess we'll say Nick Perry, because <laughs> I can't think of anybody else. Could also maybe, well, I don't know how big he is. We'll stick with Nick Perry. I think Nick Perry is the size that they like, but he just he couldn't do it. But getting back to what I had said before, or was leaning toward, I think the biggest thing that I really like that needs to happen, there's, ideally you're you're the one that's innovating. Ideally you're the one that's coming out with these new things. But if you're not an innovator, and I don't know yet, I don't know if Mike Pettin is necessarily an innovator, I don't know if Matt LaFleur is an innovator, or if these are guys that are just, um, I guess, copycats. But I would take a copycat over what we had when we had Mike McCarthy and Dom Capers. Because I've said several times, I think Mike and Dom were, were brilliant guys, and I don't think anybody in the league or around the NFL would ever argue with that. But as I've also said, I think the difference between Mike McCarthy and Andy Reid has nothing to do with intelligence. It has to do with, um, trying to think the best way to put it, I guess just their approach. Because I know Mike worked hard, and I know Mike's smart. So why is Andy Reid who's one of the old guys in the league, on the cutting edge of new. Because that's his philosophy. Because the, the, if, if Mike and Reed and, and, and Andy are putting in the same hours, the question is, what are you dedicating your hours to? Mike looked internally. He believed that his scheme and, and his offense was the answer. And, and maybe, you know, we could, we could throw maybes around. I'm not going to try to completely dump on him. Maybe he thought, I don't want to 
upset the apple cart with Aaron Rodgers. I don't want to mix things up too much for him. And then he gets mad at me and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. But for whatever reason, he, he tried to tweak his system, and his system was the broken thing. I don't really have any doubt that, and maybe it's just a, it could be a comfort factor. I don't know. It's hard to completely throw away your, your, your system and your scheme. And I know we talked about it in his last season how when they brought, um, I'm going to blank on his name now, the, the offensive coordinator, when they brought him back, that they were just going to throw out the old system and completely rebuild it. I think that's true, but they rebuilt the same system. And we saw that. It was the same system. So they re, you know, I, well, and that I think was the case with Dom, although I don't know how much he tweaked anything. We heard about Dom Capers where it was, you know, offenses would come to the line, they'd see it, they knew exactly what they were doing, and they would just change the play, and that's why they got carved up so bad. I don't know if he ever changed anything. So, you know, I, we can call it complacency, we can call it whatever we want, but that was the situation. And the fact of the matter is, again, ideally, you're on the cutting edge, you're the one innovating. I don't know if Matt LaFleur is that guy or if he's the guy that's just going to take everything that he's learned and implement it. Now, that's nowhere near as good as being on the cutting edge because the NFL is still going to be one step ahead of you. You know, the the Andy Reeds, the Sean McVays. However, I'll take a guy that's a year behind over what we had with Mike McCarthy because at that point it becomes maybe you're not exactly cutting edge and you don't you're not throwing new stuff at people. But you're still running offenses that beat modern-day defenses. You're still running defenses that can somewhat hold up against modern-day offenses. At that point, it just becomes about the talent. It becomes about the coaching of the players and getting them up to speed. The only reason talent didn't work, partly, was because we were lacking talent. But the only reason talent would never be enough for Mike McCarthy's scheme is because his is 10 years old. Dom Capers' scheme was, was 10 years old. I don't care how good you are. It's just everybody knows what you're doing. When, when everybody can see your playbook and knows your plays inside and out, and, and it's, you know, you've been exposed as far as how you beat the Packers. I mean, they, they I still remember the day that it happened. I, I forget exactly the date now, but it was when we played the Denver Broncos. The, the Packers were undefeated. We were something like 7-0. and The Broncos were also undefeated, something like 7-0. and and um, it was supposed to be a question of who was, was going to come on to- out on top. I think the Packers are slightly favored. The, the Broncos dominated us. And essentially what it was is everybody was scared to pray, play press against the Packers because they were such a scary offense. The Broncos weren't scared. They got up. They jammed our receivers. It threw off our timing. Aaron Rodgers, you know, he, he doesn't, you know, it's a, it's a timing offense. He's used to having his guy sitting right there when he's supposed to be there. Well, the guy's not there. Then he has to go, you know, his progressions, and he gets pressured. He runs out. He th- we, that's, the, that's the thing we've seen for I don't know how many years in a row now. That's where it started. Somebody exposed how to beat that offense. Everybody followed that suit. And now we've been watching for years as McCarthy continues to try to do the same thing over and over again, playing hard press man coverage to throw off our guys. Devontae's successful because it's hard to press him. He's great off the line. He's a great route runner. That's why it's it's still he's still able to succeed in this broken system. But it, it's good to hear that these are guys that are not so prideful as to say, I have things my way and this is just the way it's gonna be. I mean that when when Petten took that year off, that's what he did. I mean he worked for the Seattle Seahawks, but his job was to study the league and it's it was just great for me to hear that he's still doing that in this comment. If he says, if you look to what other teams are doing. So in other words, in the offseason, he's not just saying, okay, how do I tweak you know, my scheme or how, how do I fit the new guys into my scheme or how do I adapt my scheme to these new guys? It's, it's like pulling way back and looking at the NFL and saying, okay, 
what's going on? Who are the successful teams? Why are they successful? And again, I, I've, I've said when you look at it, it was exciting to see the Packers follow the lead of teams like the Jaguars and the Eagles who decided that they were going to stack a bunch of big, strong uh, defensive linemen. And at the time, it make, made no sense. And even today, it kind of doesn't make sense, even though I've, I've sort of caught up. But the fact of the matter is, as much as it seems silly, and as much as I would love to, you know, okay, can we invest in corner? Can we invest in this? Can we invest in that? Everybody from from the GM to the head coach, everybody has bought into this system that if you want to be successful, you need to have a dominant defense. And I've said, I, I, I don't think there's a more clear formula for if we're talking about Super Bowls, right? If, if you want to win, you know, possibly go undefeated in the regular season, fine. Get a great dominant offense. Go be the Chiefs. Go be the 2011 Packers. If you want to win a Super Bowl, you need two things. You need a great defense and a great quarterback. Now, you don't necess- if you look at the actual winners, you don't necessarily always have to have both of those things, but you have to have at least one. And if you have both, you got the best chance, obviously, of, of getting there. Right? That's what hurt the Rams. They didn't have the defense. They got really far with their offense. Granted, the offense didn't do very well either, which is sort of the problem. The, the reason you want both is because at some point, the thing that you do well is going to be taken away, and you have to rely on that other thing. We've seen it with the Packers a thousand times. The Packers' offense can carry and carry and carry and carry, but eventually they're going to hit that wall. They turn to the defense, and what happens? That or the offense still does really well, but the defense does <laughs> the worst job in the history of the known universe. And despite the Packers and Aaron Rodgers putting up a ton of points, uh, the defense completely crumbled. Either way you want to look at it, having both is important. We have Aaron Rodgers. We have the right scheme. We have Devontae Adams. We have Aaron Jones. We have decent enough tight ends. We have other developmental wide receivers. We now have a very good offensive line. I know we didn't invest in the offense as much as we needed to, but if Matt LaFleur is going to bring in what we need, and we're actually going to make this thing work, if, if, if that was the right move, then we have the offense, we have the quarterback, we need the defense. And, and as I've said several times, looking at what we've done, if we don't have the defense, I'm worried. If we can't do it, by that I mean have a very good defense, by adding Preston, Zadarius, Rashawn, Amos, Savage, that in and of itself is cause for concern. Because the way these guys are being paid is assuming this is it. And, and the exciting other aspect of this is, if we take what I'm saying to be true, and that is that we believe we have the offense, essentially, we obviously would like to have added more, but you can only do so much with the free agency and, and the draft, whatever. But if we assume that and we say, okay, what we want to do now, we want to replicate what the Jaguars did, except we have Aaron Rodgers. We want to replicate what the Bears did, except we have Aaron Rodgers. What do you do? Well, it starts up front, so what do we do? We get Preston. We get Zadarius, and then with our first pick in the draft, we get Rashawn Gary, who fits the mold of what Pettin wants perfectly. Size, speed, league. You want to win in the NFL today, size and speed is it. And it, 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 it makes sense. As much as, again, we're, we're, I had been programmed to look at the D Fords, to look at the Brian Burnses, to look at the Josh Allens. Those are the guys I'm looking at. What Pettin is telling us is that's not the way of the NFL today size speed and I don't know if there's a better size speed guy with the exception of Nick Bosa than Rashawn Gary and I to be completely honest I don't know if Nick Bosa is even better than Rashawn Gary if 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 what we're actually looking for is size speed Nick Bosa is, is production Nick Bosa is athletic freak Nick Bosa has power and and technique and, and a lot of other stuff but if what we're looking for is a giant human being 
who moves as though he's, you know, the size of, let's say, Clay Matthews, he moves as though he's he's Brian Burns, then Rashawn Gary is the guy. And, and we heard from Mike Smith say, um, and I, you know, I don't know if we're even going to get to it today, but essentially he said he was number one on his board. And if, you know, it sounds ridiculous, it's not overall board, but outside linebacker board, which could mean number one overall in the draft, to be completely honest, considering the way that this draft fell, being defensive line heavy, right? I mean, you're probably going to have, um, you know, maybe Quinn and Williams over uh, Rashawn, but who else could it possibly be? But anyways, continuing on with that, though, if we wanted to build that defense, if we wanted to not just build a better defense, if we didn't want to just improve to make sure we're not a bottom five, bottom ten team, if we actually wanted to be a top ten, top five team, what are the steps? It's to build up front, but then what What did the other teams that were super elite, like the Jacksonville Jaguars and the, and the Chicago Bears have, they had a good enough secondary. Kyle Fuller and even Prince of Mokamura stepped up, so they had their, their premium talent on the outside. They had their, their decent enough talents on the outside, but then they also had their safeties in Amos and Jackson. Now, they didn't have great linebackers. They drafted a really good linebacker, but he didn't really produce. They didn't have great linebackers. You look at the Jacksonville Jaguars. It starts up front, same as the Bears, same as the Eagles. It starts up front with your pass rushers. Beyond that, though, they had maybe the best cornerback duo in the NFL. Safeties and linebackers, sort of secondary, but that elite cornerback group along with that dominant front. So what did the Packers do? It starts up front. They got big guys, but every single one of them can affect the quarterback, and that's obvious. And that, that is the mantra of 2019 NFL defenses is affect the quarterback. It's not hold the edge. It's not sacks. In a passing league today, it's not about corners. It's not about safeties. It's not about linebackers. It's not about stop the run. It's not about, you know, contain the quarterback it's not about any of that it's about affect the quarterback and that's why I lean heavily on um, pressure percentage I don't look at sack percentage necessarily pressure percentage which is sacks hits and hurries disrupting the quarterback and it's especially important because in today's NFL it's it's the ball gets out quick it's a passing league we're going to be throwing the ball and we want to get the ball out fast we need to be able to move the quarterback maybe we can't grab him and throw him on the ground but can I move him off his spot? Can I, similar to what I said about with the Packers and, and how they learned to press the guys, why did they do that? Because it's a timing offense. Everything is timing and rhythm, and if you can throw that off, you mess everything up. If you can get a guy coming free, or even given the, the even if he's not free, a guy that just gets pushed. Some of these big, strong guys, what they do is they just push and, and move toward the quarterback. Now, maybe that's that doesn't mean anything. You know, you see several times in the NFL, you, you hit a, a tackle and you push him back toward the quarterback and then he just gets stopped. But if it's enough of a push that the quarterback sees that and takes it, you know, because he's not just going to stare and, and try to get an idea, okay, well, how's this going? Can I can I stay here? No, he, he just sees bodies moving toward him from the left-hand side or right-hand side, whatever, and he has to make a decision. Stay here and get hit or move and try to, you know, extend the play. And once he moves, you've affected the play. And we've got guys across the front that can do that. Preston, Zadarius, Rashawn, Mike Daniels, Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, Kyler Fackrell, some better than others, but all of them have that ability to get pressure in different ways. Dean is sort of the, the lean, long, gap-shooting, you know, athletic type. Kenny is just a, a bull in a, in a china shop, but they both do the same job effectively, which is to affect the quarterback. But anyways, again... If the goal was to not just be better, but to be great, um, I think the, 
the plan would be would look very similar to what the Packers did. They built up front. They have the young, talented corners. And then they went out and got two brand spanking new DBs that they think could be very, very good with Amos and especially Savage. I say, I, I, maybe I shouldn't have said especially. It just depends what you mean, so let me clarify. I'm talking upside. Amos, we know what we're getting for the most part, and it's going to be a solid guy, and, and, and that's awesome to be able to have that floor. Savage has the ceiling. He's got that really um, admirable ceiling that you like. But I mean, it's it's as much as we can look at it and say maybe this doesn't pan out. Maybe Lafleur is no good. Maybe Rodgers has really just fallen off, and we've been making excuses for him. Maybe this this wide receiver situation is going to be super problematic because we didn't address it. Maybe the safeties aren't very good. Maybe these pass rates. If we do it in the opposite, we've we've got a top five defense because we follow the formula. We've got maybe one of the best fronts in the NFL because again, and and I've gone over this. I've gone over the numbers. The Packers are better up front, numbers-wise, if we're talking about affecting the quarterback than the Chicago Bears are, especially if we start talking about depth, which is the reason that teams get so many. I thought it was weird when the Eagles had four really good guys and they got a fifth. Well, why? Because the the idea to me that you have a guy like um, Michael Bennett sitting on the bench was just weird to me. But there's just the ability to have a constant rotation. Somebody that's really good is always going to be on the bench, but that also means you're always going to have four really good guys on the field. That's the point. That's why you're not afraid to have a fifth or a sixth defensive lineman. The Packers are following that formula, and they are determined to having an elite defense. To pair with brand-new offensive scheme, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, if not the best, we'll have to see. Very good wide. I mean, it's just if you just look at it on paper, if things go correctly, of course there are certain things that aren't perfect. But you look at any team in the NFL, including the Patriots, it's not about perfect. It's about having those key pieces that you need. Beyond that, it's about execution. We've got the pieces. It's just about no more excuses. Everybody here has what it takes. There's no piece that you look at and go, well, we can't win a Super Bowl this year because X or Y. Teams have won Super Bowls with far less than what we're looking at in the 2019 Green Bay Packers this year. It's just about the talent coming out. It's about, are are we getting guys that are going to come out and produce, or are we getting a bunch of Josh Joneses? Guys with all the talent in the world, but just can't seem to put it on the football field. Can Josh Jones produce? Can Kevin King produce? Can Darnell Savage produce? Can Rashawn Gary produce? Whether the answers to those are yes or no is going to make the difference between the team being Super Bowl bound or kind of garbage. So, anyways, I'm actually going to leave it at that. We're not even going to get to the other coaches quite yet, which is good because it'll be another episode for another day. Probably not today, though. But you folks, enjoy your day. Talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.